Well, we're going to be studying the subject of finances these next four weeks. Amen? All right, cool. Now, a lot of times when that is mentioned, people think that that is a draw card for the preacher to say, I should give more. Now, I'll just give you a little preview uh, on what we're going to do, okay? I think often uh, in church, by the way, have I mentioned that I, it's good to be back with you today? I missed you guys last week, and I, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach, ready to get into the Word, ready to look at what God's Word says. It's going to be an awesome, awesome study these next four weeks. But often, I think when we think about money in connection with Christianity, in connection with giving, and those things that a lot of times people get nervous about, love offerings, right? Which sometimes is like, I feel guilty if I don't give, so I give out of guilt slash love, okay? So often when we think about giving, it's in the terms of, should I give? And if I give, what should I feel like when I do it? Can I get a witness from anybody, right? Because some people will say, well, you're supposed to give no matter what. And other people say, well, if your heart's not right, then it's better not to give at all. I love those kind of people because you can tell that they're greedy, right? Because that's already an easy out, right? Well, man, I don't feel like giving. What we're going to do is often the reverse. The third and the fourth week is actually when we look at it. In fact, the third week is going to be about the motives of giving. Often we place giving and we place how you should use your money before we understand the providence and the sufficiency of God. Does does that make sense? Okay, it's like if I understand who God is and what He is able to do in my life, that sets the precedent, that sets the, the paradigm and the diagram by which I view my money. But if I view my money first and then view God second, then what it is is I am translating God through the green American dollar. Kind of like a cheese grater, right? What we're going to do is look at how amazing God is today. Next week, we're going to look at the nature of greed. Have you ever been around a greedy person? person who's so greedy they can can pinch a penny so tight they can make Lincoln's nose bleed, right? kind of greedy. I mean, we're talking greedy, capital, all caps. We're going to look at that. Third week, we're going to look at the motives of giving. And finally, on the fourth week, we're going to actually look at what the Bible says about debt, what the Bible says about saving, what the Bible says about spending, what the Bible says about simply finances in general. And it is a very amazing study. In fact, if you are a business person, if you are wanting to invest your money, If you're wanting to do anything financially, make sure that you're here the week before Christmas. And we're going to look, if you follow these principles, for example, take a businessman, the business cannot help but prosper eventually, even in the time of a bad economy. Amazing principles from the Word of God. But the driving thought today here is to seek after what God says is important and God will provide what you truly need. And if you notice, we have... Uh, we don't have another Pope chair up here. We have a rocking chair. Are there any professional rockers? All right. People like to rock. Rocking chairs. And guitars, rocking chairs, guitars. And uh, often worry has been compared to a rocking chair. Gives you something to do, but you don't get anything done. And I'm sure if I asked for a show of hands of how many of us have a problem with worry in relation to finances probably most of us would raise our hands. And the other people are married to the ones who 
obviously are worried all the time and says, well, my husband will worry for me or my wife will worry for me. Worry is something that Jesus confronts dead on. Jesus does not try to sidestep. He does not try to counterpunch worry. In fact, if you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. What we're going to study is verses 25 all the way through 34. But what do we do, Bible scholars, Bible readers? When we come to the Bible verse, we always read what? Comes before it. Exactly. So we know if we're not, uh, we know that we're not taking the Bible out of context. Now, Jesus is in the middle of the greatest sermon ever preached. And he comes to the issue of money. Notice what verse 19 says. And this is an imperative. It's a command. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Or an alternate translation of that is when the Fed prints money like it's going out of style and inflation eats up all your money. I think that's in the Greek somewhere. Verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasures... Where, church? In heaven, where neither moss nor rust corrupts, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now notice how Jesus finishes this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then Jesus gives a picture of what greed is like in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Here's here's the, the translation. Here's the conclusion. Verse 24, no one, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. If you're reading the King James Version, it translates money as mammon. This is actually an Aramaic word. And we know that the New Testament is translated in what, what language, church? Anybody remember? Greek. Well, why in the world do we have an Aramaic word in the Greek New Testament? It's because Jesus primarily spoke in Aramaic. That's pretty cool, isn't it? So often when you see these Aramaisms uh, in the Bible, it's something that the New Testament writers were like, dude, we're not even going to put this in Greek. We're going to let the Aramaic stand on its own because this is important. So when Jesus is saying that nobody can serve both God and money, Jesus is saying, nobody can serve both God and money. We all on the same page with that? Y'all awake this morning? Y'all okay? All right. Jesus is saying that you've got, you've got one love or you've got another love. Guys, as much as it may happen in other cultures, I know that it doesn't work well in terms of a true relationship to try to marry two women and give equal love to two women. Bigamy, polygamy. I mean, can you imagine if they all get together and they gang up on the husband, which he probably deserves for marrying more than one woman. It's an impossible thing to be wholly devoted to and to love and to seek after and to adore two separate things. And so Jesus is saying, your heart is either with me 
or your heart is somewhere else. That's why Jesus says to invest in the kingdom of God. Some people say, man, I just, I, I just struggle, man. I struggle with greed. It just seems like one of those things. Even when I was a little kid, I was always, you know, like saving everything. That's, that's not a bad thing. We'll look in week four. That's actually a good thing if you can save and you can invest. But it seems like I got all my security from what I have. It seems like even when I, when I was a teenager in my early 20s, when I got that first bank account and that thing would come in the mail and I would see that bank statement, I would take my little little knife and whoosh, open that bad boy, pull it out, see those zeros there. And it was like I wasn't trying to, but it was almost like when I saw that balance, that there was something something in there. Yeah, okay, right? That's always good if there's something in there. Okay, and it's not, it's not a negative sign. And I, when I saw the amount that was in there, it was like my heart kind of, kind of got secure and rested. And there's the temptation for every single one of us to gain our security from what God has given us instead of who God is. And there is a fundamental difference between the two. Now notice what Jesus does. In verse 25, he says, therefore. Now notice we just read verse 25. We missed the whole context. He said, because of this, because you can't be devoted to one thing and another, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious or do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So Jesus says right here, look, don't live your whole life worrying and fretting, letting your blood pressure go all the way through the roof because you're worried about what God already said he's going to provide. Right? Now, now right here, we have a, a, a decision. We have a decision as believers, regardless of our level of finances, whether rich, poor. And by the way, you say, how do you define rich? They ask one guy, this old story, uh, very, very, very wealthy man. They say, how much money will it take to satisfy you? You know what he said? He said, just a little bit more. Isn't that the way it is? Right? Whether we've got 200 bucks in the bank account, whether we've got 200 million. I don't see any millionaires stopping. Why? That's not a bad thing to make money. Actually, we're going to talk about, um, about Wall Street. Okay? Occupy Wall Street. We're going to look at basic economics here in a couple of weeks. Okay? We're not saying it's a bad thing to have money. In fact, you can use that for the glory of God. But the thing is, is that we've got to come to the place to realize that it's not a financial problem. It is usually, especially in relation to worry, it is a faith problem. Let me, let me give you an example. Uh, how many Barney Fife, Andy Griffith fans do we have here this morning? Okay. All right. That is true humor, right? They're able to do it without getting in the gutter. I, I, just, I just think of this, all right? And those of you who are Batman fans, Bruce Wayne fans, uh, like the, the, the new Batman, I mean, it's just like, he, he didn't use guns, he didn't use knives, but no one could beat him up. I mean, the bros get hit with steel pipes and he's still able to give, you know, a, knock people out. It's awesome. Imagine if you had to walk through a dark alley. Let, let, let's say, let's go back to 80s gang movies. You guys remember those? Right, like every machine gun, every bomb going off in the world, and there's not a police officer within 15 miles, middle of New York City, right? And we're like, wow, that's realistic, okay? Imagine if we got put in that scenario, but it was real. And we had to walk from point A to point B, and there were thugs everywhere. Would you be more confident on your ability to actually get to point B from point A if, number one, Bruce Wayne had your back, or Barney Fife had your back. It's a theological question, church. 
With his one bullet and his judo, I love, right? You ever seen, you know, Barney Fife and his, 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 his ninjutsu and all the skills that he learned that really don't work? You know, you ever talk to somebody and say, you know, put my hand on your shoulder, my other shoulder, you know, and you're like, well, what if the guy uses his left hand? Well, well, they didn't teach me that in class, right? Let me go back to the book. And we understand, man, thinking about that, if I've got someone who has mastered every martial art, who is quicker than Bruce Lee, stronger than the Hulk, if they are there as my bodyguard, I'm not only going to be confident, but I may even do a little bit of smack talk. Say that to his face, right? You're going to be able to go through it. But if you've got someone that you think is weak and unable to protect, you're not going to venture out one bit. So I think that for us, often we sing songs, you know, God is so great and glory to God and glory to God in the highest. But then when it comes to actually living that, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever been there, but the way that we act and the way that we spend, it's almost like God is, we think he's Barney Fife. And the way that Jesus says you're freed from that is to not worry about what you're going to eat and, and drink. Now notice people will often, often say, okay, so does that mean that I'm not supposed to work, that I'm supposed to just sit back, play video games, and say, God, you're going to provide for whatever I need. Notice that Jesus nowhere says that this is for us to throw off responsibility. Okay? Once again, we'll look here in a few weeks that hard work, long work, a God-glorifying work is a good thing. That's actually a good thing. In fact, this is an interesting theological point for our thinkers. Did you know that God instituted work before sin ever came into the world? He put Adam in the garden to what? To work the garden. In fact, work is actually a good thing. Now that's different than slave labor. That's different than the, the backbreaking work when they would put slaves into galleys and they would only last a couple of years or, or work them to death in the salt mines. That's a totally different thing. And here in a free market economy, we, we, you, in fact, we, at least the law says that even if you work more than 40 hours a week, you get how much? Extra, you, you get time and a half. If you work a holiday, you, you get you get you get double. So, so we've got an opportunity to work. So Jesus is not saying quit your job and don't do anything and just lay out, you know, in, in your swimsuit and with with a uh, with some lemonade, listen to your iPod and say God will provide. Listen to the Gaithers, right, right there in the backyard. And neighbors are like, "What's up with them?" Like, we go to Rocky Mount Baptist. They're like, "Okay, great, all right." So he's not saying that, but what Jesus is saying is that if we can understand that God will provide what we need, it will relieve us from stress that we were not intended to carry. Notice how Jesus sums this up. If you jump over to verse number 33 for me. When Jesus, we're going to go through this, this list of what Jesus says not to worry about. He says, but do this, but, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these what? These, these things, all of these things that we seek after will be added where? To you. So, so if I, change around my priorities and understand that the bank account is not the final goal, but if I seek after God, He owns everything. Amen? The IMF has what they have because they live upon the earth that God created. 
Everything ultimately comes from God. So if I'm serving Him, then I circumnavigate the way that people says, say that life is supposed to be lived. And often this happens in a church life. You know, it's very easy um, in a church life, those of you who've been in church for a while can, maybe can identify this, to where we say we're doing okay. That phrase does not relate to people being saved or lives being changed or marriages being brought back together, but it relates to how much money is in the bank. And you ever been in a church like that? Okay. That has to, for a person to truly grab a hold of what God meant for life, that has to change. And often when you read the Bible, God used the people who had the least stuff. Used people who had absolutely nothing so that God's glory could be made evident in their life. So notice Jesus' argument through here in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. Jesus is saying there, especially in verse 19, Jesus is saying, earthly treasure doesn't last. Okay? Everything that we have will one day turn to dust or rust. Isn't that true, church? Right? Dust or rust, one day, even if it stays in the family and the kids don't sell the farm, one day, one day it will all go to nothing. Secondly, Jesus is saying in verse 19 that treasures are unstable. We are in a very difficult economic time right now. The stock market falls. People's retirement counts fall. The Fed continues to print money to, uh, as it's been said, you've probably heard on the news, and this is actually one thing that is true, we'll study. Um, we're not going to do an economics lecture, but we're going to understand exactly how things work. Because there's a lot of stuff that's said on the news that is simply untrue. And if you come to Rocky Mount Baptist, you will not be unformed. I promise you that. Okay? Every time I stand up here, I will teach you the Bible. Um, I will teach you uh, how it applies to our life as best God gives me the ability to. But what happens, you know, uh, the Fed is printing a lot of money. So what happens is, is that you've got to make a certain amount of interest just to keep up. And what the banks offer you right now is not going to keep up. So let's all pop some nerve pills. Or, or let's take a step back, maybe even push back what people at church have told us about finances and look at what Jesus says. Jesus is saying, notice verse 19, that moth and rust destroy and thieves break through and steal. Inflation is a thief. And I'm just going to go ahead and say anybody who advocates saving their a political office, whether it's the president, whether it's a senator, whether they're in the Congress, to make it seem like the economy is good by printing more money so that grandchildren and that you and I suffer, I say that's thoroughly dishonest. I would say, according to this verse, that that is pure thievery. All right, That's not a political statement. That's simply the truth. So what do we do? Do we get nervous? Do we fret? No, no, no. Notice what Jesus says. Therefore, after all of this, you're like, no, Jesus, I thought that you were going to tell me that everything was going to be good, that I was going to be rich. I was got a lot of money. No, Jesus says, because riches don't last, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. That's amazing. And notice what Jesus, Jesus says there in verse 24. You can't trust both God and money. Verse 26, Jesus uses almost a hilarious illustration. Notice people are already stressed out. This was a high taxed area. Not only did you have to pay normal taxes if you were a Jew living in Palestine, but somebody tell me who was in control of the whole region. The, the Romans. 
And the Romans would tax you more. And not only would you have to pay to Rome, that would be like us. Like, imagine if this happened. This could, this would be inconceivable because we have, amen, we've got some good, uh, Virginia rednecks here and be like, hey, if a foreign army ever came in, they would never be able to subdue Franklin County because I have an arsenal, right? You just think it's a bookshelf, you push a button, you walk behind, there's all sorts of stuff there. I've got my machine gun and what granddaddy brought back from World War II. We will mow them down, brother. All right, but just imagine if a foreign power came in and subdued us and conquered us. It would be like us having to pay an incredible amount of our income tax to Beijing. It would be like, imagine you having to write a check to the Islamic Republic of Iran. And not only that, but the guys that they sent to actually get your taxes would rip you off and charge you more to put it in their pocket. So you're talking about a difficult financial time. Then Jesus, it's almost like he's, he's playing a joke here. Notice verse 26. Do you guys realize how big this is? He says, look at the birds of the air. They're like, hold on, Jesus. I want to look at the books. I want to look at the 401k. I want to look at the bottom line item. Show me whether it's Keynesian economics or it's free market or whether it's collective. I want to know. Jesus says, look at the birds. Did y'all catch that? That's funny. Laugh. All right. Amen. That's funny. Jesus is talking about you losing your money through corrupt government, through whatever. And notice verse 20. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And it kind of stops. You can imagine when Jesus is giving this sermon, people are thinking money, dollar, big money. I'm trying to provide for my family. Will my children have to be sold into slavery? And Jesus says, look at the birds. And we understand that the birds don't have a job or, or do they have a job? This is an interesting point. Do you realize that Jesus created, beginning, the world was spoken into existence, the animals were created, a dog brings glory to God by being a dog. You should go with me on this. Everything in creation brings glory to God by doing what it was designed to do. A bird flying brings glory to God because someone asked the question, how did that bird do that? God. Is that very basic? Is that too basic? Jesus is going back to a fundamental point saying, look, it is because of the sovereignty of God, it is because of the ability of God through his power. He has given birds the ability to fly. They bring glory to him. And because of that, we can understand that if we do the same, if we follow God, notice once again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You know what Jesus is saying is the reason why we were created is to serve God, to love God, as Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, to fear God and obey his commandments. And it's an amazing thing when we break out of the mold of saying that I've got to get as much stuff as I can. I've got to be the top person. Uh, what do they say? Living high on the hog. That's a reg that term, isn't it? I'm living high on the hog. That's That's pretty high, right? You're high on a hog. Yeah. Knocking out, right? Buying out 
boardwalk and all those areas on the Monopoly game. For those of you who can handle 19 hours of Monopoly and still be going and everyone else is in bed and sleep. What Jesus is saying is that God can provide. Is that too basic for us today? See, often we want to say, you know, well, give me, give me the, give me the theological substance. Give me the point one A to B. But Jesus is like, look at birds. God provides for birds. You're much more valuable than they. That's what Jesus says. Therefore, God will provide for what you truly need. God will provide for what you truly need. And notice what Jesus um, also says in, um, in verse number 31. He says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the lost people, seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Some people, some people say, no, hold on, Jeff, it sounds like Jesus is just saying, well, go on mission trips and never work a job and this and that. No, Jesus is saying, I understand that you need physical clothes, you need food, you need drink. But let me make a point here. Um, in the U.S., only, only probably in a U.S. audience we need to make this point. Um, often, let me give you a friend's Facebook status. This actually made a lot of sense to me. He said, I hear people crying for sympathy, all the while choosing those things that bring death. Read that one more time. He, he says, I hear people crying for sympathy, all the while choosing those things that bring death. Um, and this is from um, government study here. It says, in 2000, Americans consumed the, on average, uh, 57 pounds more meat than they did annually in the 1950s. Also, average consumption of added fats increased by two-thirds between the 1950s and the year 2000. This is, this is amazing. It said America's sweet tooth increased 39% between the 1950s and the year 2000, and use of corn sweeteners increased eight times. Often, and I'm just going to tie this in because I think that it needs to be said, we need to understand that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. There's one extreme to the other. One extreme says, I'm going to not care for my body. I'm going to neglect it. I'm going to continue um, to really not care what happens. And then the body breaks down and we ask for God to heal. The other end of the spectrum says that I can never eat a hamburger, that my whole life, my whole personality, my self-worth is comprised upon how much weight I can lift or how ripped my six-pack is. Both of those are contrary to what God's Word teaches. The Bible teaches moderation in food and drink. So I would encourage you, when we read this text, we understand that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not to be a health freak to where that interferes with relationships, or we can't eat certain foods that would bar us from uh, ministering to people. Like, for example, Peter. God said, he had the, 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 the sheet come down. He was saying, uh, Peter, don't let this dietary law get in between you and Cornelius because a Jew wouldn't even go into a, a Gentile's house so what Jesus was saying through the vision is don't let this get in the way of a relationship and often that's not the problem for us because we see uh, most of us are on seafood diets if we see it we eat it amen all right 
By the way, let, let me make a point here as well. Um, John Power made a very good point that often when this issue is mentioned, all right, and this is not timing just after Thanksgiving. Some people are like, you know, are you preaching on gluttony right after Thanksgiving? No, that'd be better to get it right after Thanksgiving and Christmas, all right? But, but, but one thing that we should never do is make an equation weight equals. Nowhere in Scripture does it make that case. That's not for people to go and look at other people and say, I look at you, therefore I know your spiritual condition. What the Scripture does say is that our bodies are the temple, the Holy Spirit, and we try to take care of them as best that we can so that we can glorify God with them. And in Jesus' day, most of the people worked as common laborers. We say, well, I've never really been that concerned about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink. But these people were. Can you imagine that every single day that you worked, imagine going to a little dwelling place and you didn't have hardly anything there except for one cloak. And knowing that if you didn't bring home a paycheck that day, men, your family would not have anything to eat the next. It was a literal, a literal, not, not we've got friends, not we've got food banks, not we have possibly welfare or, or food stamps, not any of that, but there would be nothing to eat. That's why, that, that's why Jesus' words here about food and drink are so weighted with value. He says, don't worry about that because God knows that you need these things. But today, a lot of times we're not worried about having enough clothes to stay warm. We're, we're worried about having cool clothes. Remember when I was in, in, in middle school and high school, I, I wanted certain brand names. And those brand names are now lame. You ever notice that? Like, like seriously, somebody go back with me to middle school and high school and imagine what we thought was cool. If we wore that today, our kids would say, Dad, Mom, please, for the love of our family unit, go back inside and change, Right? There are fashions that change. There are things that, that, that don't uh, stay the same. And often I think that when we make decisions based upon that, when we place all types of, of faith into what we wear, are we actually saying that I am worth what I wear? Or am I valuable because I am Christ's? There's a fundamental difference there. I don't really care much about style, and maybe, maybe you can see that. But honestly, I, I would pray that if that's an issue in your life, that, that, that if it's the clothes that give you value, understand that the clothes do not give you value, but it's Christ that gives you value. Amen, church? be wearing the most raggedy whatever, you know, hand-me-down blah, blah, blah from Walmart in the 1920s and whatever it is. But because Christ had died for you, you are valuable. And just a little uh, fashion statement. Uh, sometimes I am tempted for guys my age, some of them have never heard that when they put their pants on they need to pull them up. Alright? Just go, go to, you know, I, I, I've thought about starting a belt ministry, right? Rocky Mount Baptist Church belt ministry. I'm young, I can do it. I'm like, bro, It's called a belt. Use it. It'll change your life. Here's a track. Come see us at church. All right? So now that I've said that, I feel a lot better getting that off my chest. So, y'all okay? Can we say that type of stuff? Can we be real? I have a grown man who can't pull his pants up. That's sad. All right? Let's go back to verse 26. Jesus is speaking about the birds. Then he uses another illustration about clothes. He says uh, there in verse number 28, And why are you anxious? Why are you worried about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, 
how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the heart of the text. O you of little faith. It's almost if if we could have Jesus step to the side and say, Jesus, can you break that down for me? He may say something like, if your God is so small that He cannot provide food and clothes for you, and in order to actually do that, your God requires you to live the life of a worry wart, you probably should get another God. Because our God is able to do all things. God is able to provide. God is able to give. God is able to save. He's able to do whatever He wants. And notice, you think about a flower. A flower is, is, is a beautiful thing, isn't it? Right? Guys, we don't, under, we don't understand that really, I think, because of our, our dudeness, our guyness. I mean, I, I've never been around a group of guys walking around, and one of them stops, it's like, that is just the most beautiful flower I have ever seen. Bartholomew, come over here. Isn't the exquisite nature of that, that isn't it shocking? And we all just sit around like, mm, right? No, dude, I mean, guys, we, we, don't have, we don't have like dude flower clubs, all right? I think often ladies are able to appreciate much more the beauty of a flower, but whether you're a guy or a girl, you can understand one thing. Guys, yeah, right, and I hope that you're still doing this if you're married. By the way, I, I'm not married, but I think it's a very biblical principle. Many wise, wise Bible teachers emphasize this all the time is that when you get married, don't stop dating your wife. Okay? She's yours and sometimes I think there's probably the tendency to check out and be like, well, I got her. You know? And like, now she's, she's yours. But, but not to go down that road, but to continue to invest, to continue to love. And when you buy that bouquet of roses or flowers, you notice that it may last tops a few days. Maybe a week, maybe longer, but then, then it starts looking sickly, right? It starts to fall off. The petals wilt and, 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 and the stems contract and then they're thrown in the trash. And Jesus is saying, look above and you see birds. God provides for them. Then you look at the dirt and what grows out of it. Flowers. God provides for them. And what's in between? It's you. And Jesus is saying that if God provides for little birds and if He provides for little flowers, then He will provide for you. Let me just just hopefully help some of you today. God does not need our worry. Amen, church? God is not up there saying, I hope that people would worry more so that I could be free to do what I want. That's not the way that it works. God doesn't need our worry. Worry. Do you know what God does desire? He desires, once again, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5? He said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after what? After righteousness, which is the right standing with God. It's who God is and all his perfection and his holiness and his goodness. It means to seek after God and all of these things will be added to you. And then Jesus gives the final therefore in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Is that not prophetic? 
In a time where there's talk, uh, even from Secretary of the Treasury and people in, in the U.S. government saying this would be a good time to change from the U.S. dollar being the world's reserve currency. We'll talk about more what that means. This is, this is, this is huge. This is, this is absolutely huge. But Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow because it's going to take care of itself. You can translate this, uh, each sufficient, each day is the evil thereof. King James Version. Then he says, sufficient for the day is its own troubles. You know what he's saying? Jesus is saying, look, if you seek after me, if you follow me, if you desire me, I will provide what you need. There's a story about a uh, young man named Bill Borden. He was born uh, November 1st in 1887, and he died April 9th, 1913. 25 years old. He went to uh, Yale University, then to Princeton Seminary. You can go look. Bill Borden, B-O-R-D-E-N. He came from a very wealthy family. And he actually was a boxer uh, in college. A very good, well-in-shaped guy, an athlete. You, you can tell. But by the way, do you notice that the old pictures, they were just stylish, weren't they? And just, just, just clean. I mean, just, just good-looking guy. And you can tell, big, thick neck. It would have taken a lot to knock him out. And, but one thing, he heard the preaching of D.L. Moody. One of the greatest evangelists in the history of Christianity. And D.L. Moody preached and Bill Borden, a rich young man from a rich family, decided to follow Christ, but not just to get saved, but to forsake everything and go to be trained to be a missionary to the Muslims in the area of Egypt. That's an amazing thing. It was all over the news. It was, it, was, it was a famous thing. It was, it was almost like um, the boy from the rich family decides to forsake all and become a missionary. That's just weird. But on the boat ride, he contracted uh, a rare disease and, and he actually died and was buried. That's not really the story that we wanted to hear, right? You're like, that was the worst preacher story. It's the actual story. That's the worst story I've ever heard. That's, that's horrible, right? That's worse than like one of those dog dying stories. I don't even want to go to church anymore, right? But what that did is that started a movement of young people all across the U.S. to take the gospel around the world. It's very apparent that God used the sacrifice of a young man who gave everything to him to bring the gospel to places that didn't have it. But often when we hear stories like that, we say, now, that's good, but, but you know, Jeff, or Lord, you don't... You don't really know my situation. You see, I've, I'm, I'm a little bit high strung, and uh, I like, to, I like to think about stuff. By the way, isn't that always the code word for worry? Yeah. I just like to, th- I just want to, th- want to think. I want to think about it, Lord. I want to think about this, and the Lord, Lord may encourage you to do something. But this, this is actually comfortable. Maybe we can try this from now on, preaching while rocking. You know, I mean, like a concert. Some of y'all, this is a little bit out of the, the preacher's supposed to stand up. It's all right. It'll be none just a second. Just chill out, you know, pop the nerve pill. <laughs> but it's so easy just to sit and to think. But if I've got a job to do, a real job, I can't stay here. And often in our Christian lives, we've traded the chair of worry for the action of obedience. When Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and heaven and my righteousness, and I'll add all these things to you and probably even give you a better rocking chair. So the decision for us today 
Whether we had a booming economy or a stumbling economy is will we trade the chair of worry for simply saying, Lord, I want to pursue not your blessings, not what you can give me, but I want to pursue you. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to this time of commitment and invitation. Musicians are are making their way to their instruments. For the believer, you you may be going through difficult financial times, and this is a a day in which the Lord has has spoken to you and said, you know what, I can provide for birds, I can provide for flowers, I will, and I can provide for you. Simply have faith. Simply follow me. And the Lord may be telling you something, Christian, that you need to, to follow Him in. Maybe there's someone that you need to... To, to share the gospel with or ask forgiveness of or something that you need to give to. Someone you need to pray for that you've stopped praying for because you didn't think that they would ever change. Just let this be a time right now to where you say, God, I have been worrying about my finances. I've been sitting in the chair. I've been acting, God, like you're Barney Fife. But in, instead, I know that you would make Bruce Wayne or the Hulk look like a weakling. And God, today I want to change the way that I view you. I want to change the way that I treat you. And God, today I'm repenting. I'm asking God that you would take me again and you would show me great and mighty things. Lord, I want to live a life of faith. If that's you, just just tell that to the Lord right now. Say, Lord, I, I want to get out of my chair of worry and I want to follow you. If you want to come pray in front or if you need prayer, ask you to come when, when we begin to sing and I'll be down here to receive you. And if there's any here today and you have never received Jesus Christ, the point of this message is that God does not want to change your finances, but He wants to change your heart. The Bible says that the soul that sins, it will die. That's every single one of us. What you must do is turn from your sin, repent of it, that means forsake it, and place your faith in Jesus. Be ready to live for Him. There may may be something that God has done in your life in the last week or month or year, and you say, you know what, that has just led up to right now, and I'm ready to follow Christ. I need to be baptized. I want to be a part of of this church that teaches the Bible and sings about it and lives it. We're going to ask you that when we begin to sing, just to show the Lord and to show the people here that that you're ready to follow Christ. We're going to ask that you just get up out of your seat wherever you are, uh, center aisle, side aisle, and walk forward and I'll take you by the hand and pray for you. And by coming forward, you're letting people know and you're letting the Lord know, most of all, that you love Him and that you are ready to give Him your life.